jacked up for this NWO reunion. Big Kev, Scottaholic, and the leader Hollywood himself. Which, you know, I know you guys want pictures, autographs. I've heard the requests. Get a ticket with the boys in the band. And guess what? It's for the Q&A. The first time the NWO has sat down together in 22 years and hashed it out. October 27th, we're going to be running wild in Orlando. Oh, I hate that word, running wild. HulkHogan.com Because this is for Life Jack, and it's not a stinking tagline. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely excellent. How in the hell are you? Man, I am good. I live to tell the tale. And what a tale we have. Well, then tell the damn tale. Tell me a little bit about how your honeymoon was. What I'd rather do is talk about the very inappropriate toast that you gave at my rehearsal dinner that uh, my father-in-law is still talking about to this day. What, What was inappropriate about the toast that I gave? Well, I just think that, uh, the song choice that you did when you decided to break out into song that was requested by your bride to be, well, I don't think she knew exactly what the song was, but either way you had no problem doing it. And, uh, pop pop took great pride in the fact that thank God somebody else did something inappropriate instead of me for once. So what? wasn't totally inappropriate well let's just let the listeners decide bruce why don't you go ahead and warm up the band and give us your rendition of this song you sang the night before my wedding as all of our families and friends were gathered around well it's it's called the mailman song and it goes a little something like this i'm so happy i'm so gay i can come every day I'm your mailman. I don't mess with keys or locks. I'll just stick it in your box. I'm your mailman. I can come in any kind of weather. That's because my sack is made of leather. I'm so happy. I'm so gay. I can come every day. I'm your mailman. You're welcome. And you thought that was okay. Sure. Yeah. What was not okay about it? <sighs> we'll let the listeners decide. I do feel like, uh, we should circle back and talk about last week though. Judgment day, 1998 was the topic. And, uh, that was not a great show, but a lot of really interesting news happened around this time and lots of fun developments in the year, 1998 for WWE, but. The biggest development was learning that you're a vapor. You're a vape guy. That's what everybody was vapor. talking about. I don't even know what, what do you, what do you mean? That I'm like, not here. I'm just a vapor. I'm a figment of your imagination. Have you already been hitting it again today? Hit, hitting what? I haven't hit anything in a long time. I am a three time black belt hall of famer, but I haven't like yeah, your sparred been able to hit anything in a long time. Okay. So what was the feedback you got from judgment day? Quit playing the. I'm playing coy here. Well, most of most of it was was positive, which kind of shocked me. Because, but I think they were positive towards our show. They weren't necessarily positive towards Judgment Day '98. Although some defended the hell out of it, said they really liked it, didn't like that we didn't like it. Well, they're wrong. How's that? No, they're not. There wasn't anything. They're wrong. entitled to their goddamn opinion. 
Why's it got to be a goddamn opinion? You're coming I don't, in I don't know. Today. Now you got me all fired up because I'm so happy. I'm so oh, well. Anyway, are you fired up because you're on that ageless male max? Have you been boosting your total testosterone? Do you have 64% increase in your nitric oxide? Has it come in handy in the gym and in the bedroom? And if so, are you Mr. Listener ready to take your manhood to the max? Try a 30 day bottle for free. Just pay your shipping and handling, not 10 days, not 15 days, a full 30 day supply. And it's free. All you've got to do is text the word slam. That's S L A M to 79, 79, 79. This is finally the formula. that's going to boost your total testosterone. But if the results with ageless male max are too intense, please decrease the use. Get that free bottle right now. Text slam S L A M to 79, 79, 79. That's S L A M to 79, 79, 79. Message and data rates may apply. And there were a lot of messages about this past weekend, man. Andy Wong rolled out the red carpet for us again at the world famous Kowloon. What a great time. What a great show. What an interesting stage setup you and Dave Silva did. <laughs> I love the show, man. I thought it was super fun. What'd you think? <laughs> it was super fun. It was, uh, is I like to say a little kabuki-ish having to work. We, we had to work both sides of the room, kind of to our left and to our right. And everyone in the audience, no matter where you were, you had a profile of one of us at least. But it was it was interesting and it was great. We got to eat some good food at Kowloon's. And thanks to everybody that helped out. I thought that, uh, again, it was great to see old Allison Faye representing the two percenters. Yeah, Jeff Jewett was there. Dave Silva was there. Of course, our man Eric Rottencrotch was there. Mark Nielsen was there. Everybody was there lending a helping hand. And uh, we missed Jimmy James this time. We'll catch him down the road. And you told me that uh, you actually met a guy at the Dirty Dozen who could sell. Oh, hell yeah, man. Justin Perry, who not only got his own stuff and picked up my tab, he picked up the tab for everybody at the Dirty Dozen. So thanks to Justin Perry and his gorgeous companion that uh, lightened up the mood at our table, definitely. So at least we had a beautiful young lady there to at least have something to look at. And we're back on the road this weekend, but we're separated. Oh. I'm in Orlando at the NWO reunion with the uh, Hulkster brother and our good friend, Eric Bischoff. And you are in Niagara Falls with Brett, the Hitman Hart. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Going to be on the Canadian side. So for everybody that says, Bruce, when you come into Canada, I will be there this weekend, Saturday only at the Scotiabank Convention Center. It's Frightmare in the Falls. And going to be there all day Saturday, taking pictures, meeting people, signing autographs. And um, going to be there with the one and the only, the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, the Canadian hero himself, Bret Hart. Also, don't forget to check us out November 17th. We're going to be at the Regent, as Bruce would say, theater in Los Angeles. And November 24th, we're making our North Carolina debut. That's going to be at WrestleCade. You never know who's going to show up there. Pick up your tickets right now for all of these shows at BrucePritchard.com. But we're taking a trip across the pond right here before you know it. Isn't that right, Bruce? Absolutely. We're going to be December 4th and 5th in Glasgow, Scotland, and Belfast, Northern Ireland. Now, there's only a few tickets that remain for both of those events. Get all the information over at BrucePritchard.com. Then we head to... Jolly Old England, December 6th, Birmingham, December 7th, London, December 8th in Bristol, and we're going to 
wrap everything up on December 9th at Liverpool. And I know you're going to like this because these are special events where you don't just get our live show. You're also going to get a Fight Forever live wrestling event as well. How about this? The American Nightmare Cody Rhodes is going to be there. Of course, Brandy's going to be in tow. Jimmy Havoc, Flip Gordon, lots of other fun stuff, including... I think there's like a pimp party with the godfather or some sort of voodoo party with papa shango man you got to check this out tickets are available right now at bruceprichard.com hey but that's not all i also want to give a shout out to my buddy mvp who is going to be in london on sunday november 18th at the resistance gallery for his most valuable prisoner live show where he's going to talk about the days that he spent in the prison uh, in Florida and what he did to get there and how he basically went from a boy to a man in prison. So check that out if you're in London at the Resistance Gallery on Sunday, November 18th. Wow, that should be interesting. And so should this. It's finally here. We've had requests from day one. When are you guys going to talk about Triple H and Stephanie? And we're pushing our luck today, man. I'm hoping it just slips under the radar with all the other WWE news this week. We're finally talking about it. Well, let's first start talking about triple H man. He had quite the year in 1999. He winds up capturing the world title two times. He's a main eventer pretty consistently, but by the end of the year, he is a constant there. He made the heel turn at WrestleMania 15. He joined the corporation. His whole image had changed entirely. Let's talk about that briefly. What are your memories of triple H turning on DX and who suggests that maybe he changes look? as he certainly did in 1999. Well, that was his call. That was something that he wanted to do. It was an evolution of the character and just kind of freshening things up, just like Undertaker would change his look every few years. This was a way for Triple H to change his look up a little bit and change presentation. Well, that he did. And you've said before that Vince really only saw him as like a mid card guy, intercontinental champion type guy. And at that level, but he winds up winning the world title right after SummerSlam in 1999. When did Vince's opinion of him start to change? Well, really about this time, I'll never forget when triple H started and different things were happening and people would suggest new guys to try something new with. And Vince would always say, goes, you know what? He's a mid Carter at best. I mean, that's as high as you're going to get with him. If he does. And there was always a caveat. If he doesn't change, if he doesn't grow up, if he doesn't make some changes to what he's doing, one of, and interestingly enough, one of the things that always drove Vince nuts was the hair. Vince always used to talk about, I'm going to get that hair one day. And we'd always come up with ideas to have Triple H in a hair match and, and shave his head. And he fought it every chance that, that we had. He, he would never do it, wasn't interested in it. And Vince told him, I'm going to get me that hair one day. And he did, but we didn't get to shave it on TV or anything. He just went and got it chopped off one day. But this was about the time that Vince was looking at it and trying something new. And it was Russo who really pushed for triple H to win the championship and was in his corner big time as if we needed another fucking reason to hate Vince Russo. He's responsible for this triple H push. Uh, He's responsible for getting him into the, yeah. Getting him into the line. What's again, what, why do you hate triple H? Why are you, he was a hell of a talent and he drew money and was good. I don't understand your hatred. Oh, he's awesome. I love him. Uh, so let's talk about Stephanie. 
1999. She's 23 years old. She graduated from Boston university with a degree in communications the prior year, 1998. And then she starts working for the WWF full-time. Let's rewind a little bit though. She was around the McMahon household as you're over there booking and working in Vince's dining room and out by the pool. She's a constant there. Is she not? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you got, you got the kids after school, at least on, on her part, she was always around and then, uh, went to college, went to Boston, but she would always come back. Not every weekend, but at least once a month she would come back, but she was always around and always worked the summers in the office, uh, whether it was in marketing as an intern or the TV studio as an assistant, whatever it was, she was just a constant. Any fun, uh, Stephanie McMahon stories as a Ute? <laughs> um, is a Ute God. I think that the funniest one that she used to tell was when she graduated from high school, we all got invited to her graduation party dinner or whatever the hell it was. Cause Pat and I had to go to everything and we got there and I, we had been working all week and I, didn't know what, what do you get an 18 year old girl that has everything for graduation? So I deferred to Louie Dondero, who was Pat Patterson's, um, significant other. And I said, Louie was going to go and get her something for the party. And I said, Louie, would you mind getting something, uh, for me to give her? And he says, sure. Don't worry about it. So he gets it all wrapped and has a card and everything for me. And I give it to her and I, I forgot to ask, what did I get her? And so, <laughs> I got, so she opens it and she looks at it and she goes, Oh wow. This is just beautiful, Bruce. Thank you so much. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, what the hell is it? And it was an ankle bracelet. And oh, I'm like, that just sound kind of creepy to me. And sure enough, she said to me later, she goes, she goes, I don't know. Um, she goes, I really, this very sweet gift, but it's kind of weird coming from uncle Bruce, you know, this, this ankle brass said, well, confession time. I said, I had Louie get it. She goes, okay, that makes more sense. So she felt, she felt better once she knew Louie picked it out for her and, Everything, but Vince and I, man, when she was in high school, we used to go to her high school basketball games, and we would sit in the stands in the bleachers with our books, and we would book and write TV and stuff until Stephanie got on the court and played, and then we'd look up and watch her play, and then go back to working. And that's where you guys came up with ideas like uh, Shinja and Duke the Dumpster Drosse and Teal Hopper, right? No, 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 no. We came up better shit than that. I'm sure. Knuckleball no. Schwartz. Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. I'm sure yeah. that was thought of at, at a fucking sporting event. Yeah. Well, what, what type of a sports dad was Vince McMahon? I feel like he's having a meltdown on the sidelines. No, he was, he was one of those that was very reserved and he would watch and he would, he would quietly cheer her on. But he wasn't what you would expect. Come on, Stephanie, get in there. God damn it. Nail her. Get that bitch. Hey, hey, ref, that's a fucking foul. No, he was much more reserved than that. You just got to say it under his breath. That was a goddamn foul. She ought to fucking foul that bitch. <laughs> Elbow in the titty. Oh, God. 
What? Oh my gosh. What was he? Get a Chris, damn it. Did he understand basketball? More than I did. <laughs> I don't you know, but they bounced the ball around. They threw it in the circle on the board at the end of the court. I just know you don't know shit about real sports. And, you know, he famously, and we talked about this in the archives, his favorite football players were Wahoo McDaniel and Ernie Ladd, which is just hysterical to me. So let's talk about when she starts working with the company full time. After graduation, does she start sitting in on meetings or how does Vince introduce her into the fold? What are her roles? What do you remember about her coming up there? And were you a little nervous about there being another McMahon there? And I mean, we know how that story ends. Chat me up. Well, during this time, I was a lot more on the talent relation end of things and I wasn't doing as much creative. I definitely remember those Stephanie coming in and Vince having her sit in on creative and try to learn every aspect of the business. And contrary to popular belief, from my knowledge, the first person to suggest Stephanie being on camera was goddamn Jim Cornette. He said, what the fuck is this goddamn big titty Demi Moore looking fucking bitch doing walking around the goddamn house? We don't have her on camera. And Cornette thought that she would be perfect and thought she was, you know, she was good looking put her ass on TV. She's a McMahon exploit the name. And so it was Jim Cornette. The first time I ever heard it. And I said, man, that's going to be a going to be one. You're going to have to get past, uh, the old man and the salted in the shell. Shane salted in the shell. We're just a traveling nut house. Vince is the head cashew and Bobby Heenan used to refer to Shane as salted in the shell. Wow. So she's in, and working in the backstage area, what's a typical day like with Stephanie when she's first there? Is she working more with a certain section of the show? No, she was, she would have a headset on. She was learning production. So she was shadowing Vince and she was sitting in on whatever meetings there were, whether they be creative production meetings and trying to learn everything that she could about television and about the creative process. But you, if you, she was like a fly on the wall. She's very, very quiet and didn't say a whole lot, man. She just sat there, listened and took a lot of notes. Now, after the fact, after the meetings, a lot of times she would take us off to the side and ask us questions about what took place in the meeting. You mean Why did you say this? Why'd you do that? And different things like that. Give me an example. Um, well, I guess, uh, talking about, we're going to bring Steve in, but his character wouldn't do that and just leave it like that. She would then come back and ask, why wouldn't his character do that? And she would want explanation for each and every decision. If you said, well, like, especially Cornette, you know, Cornette, God damn, he's a heel. He wouldn't do that. Um, she'd want to know why a heel wouldn't do that. So she She, was interested in learning the psychology of wrestling. Yes. And sometimes it's not as easy to explain. It's just a feel. And I think that that kind of frustrated her sometimes as well, but it was, she was just very inquisitive and always asking questions. So chat me up. What's Shane doing during this time when Stephanie comes in? 
Shane during this time was working. He had finished up his time at the studio and Shane was working with the magazine and kind of doing the same thing. Shane had been there for a few years beforehand, but Shane had already kind of been ingrained a little bit in the office part of it, but it was Vince wanting to get him on air and Russo wanting to get him on air. They were looking for young, young people, man. And, and Shane was young and vibrant, had the name. So it was a conscious effort to let's get Shane involved in these storylines as well. Since we already had Mr. McMahon establish his character behind the scenes though. I mean, what's his real job besides showing up to TV? Uh, his real job, I believe during this time was working with the magazine and getting the, we had this new thing called dot uh, com and, and it was in this area era where that was, by God, this is going to be the future. <laughs> you know, people are going to be on their computers being able to watch a pay-per-view and we're going to be able, it was the infancy of I really, I guess the streaming service as we know it now, but it was, it was WWF.com and that was his main role and also kind of getting into the publication and the magazine end of things too. So let's talk a little bit about the first time we see Stephanie on TV. Of course, Shane had been on for a few months. Um, everybody's feeling pretty good about how Shane's doing at this point. Is that fair to say? He was rough around the edges, but he had, he definitely was comfortable in front of the camera and he, he was a McMahon. So he had the name and he had instant heat and recognition immediately whenever the hell he walked out. But Shane had a presence and Shane had, had that oomph, if you will. So it, it was, I think people realized he was still green but he had a little bit of swagger to him. Vince Russo is essentially the head writer at this time. I know you're going to debate that a little bit, but can we, can we say that he has a lot of influence in the creative at this point? Sure. Is he the guy who crafts the storyline? Of course you make the suggestion or, or Cornette makes the suggestion rather of putting her on TV, but is he the guy he being Russo pronouns, pal, who writes the storyline that gets her on at this time, I would say it was, it was probably both of them working in tangent and pitching ideas together, but Russo definitely was a loud advocate for Stephanie and for Shane. And Russo was the one that was crafting a lot of those stories. So pitching them to Vince. as uh, how many ideas would you say are pitched to Vince about putting Stephanie on TV before eventually they say, Oh, that's the one. Like, is he very particular and protective of what she's going to be doing and how she's put on TV and how she's portrayed? Or is it just, Oh yeah, that sounds great. No, Vince was probably more protective of Stephanie than he was Shane. However, Vince also felt that Stephanie would be a better on air talent than Shane. He felt that she had the chops and felt that, that she would, um, just be a natural in front of the camera. That was Vince's feeling, Vince McMahon. So how do you guys settle on the angle where she debuted? I guess we should remind everybody it's April of 99 at the backlash pay-per-view where Steve Austin pinned the rock to retain the world title. 
and Steph is rushed to a waiting limo outside and the undertaker sitting in the driver's seat rolls down the back window and says the famous line, where to Stephanie, uh, and starts laughing. Stephanie starts screaming. Whose idea is this? This feels like a Vince Russo idea all day. As far as I know, that was all a Vince Russo idea. And that was something that, you know, Russo had laid out with the storyline with Mr. McMahon and the whole undertaker and luring Austin in and getting Austin to come to the aid of Mr. McMahon was the end game there. And that was, uh, that was one of those Russo seeds getting it in there. And Vince was very particular about how, how Stephanie was portrayed and, and just, he was careful with it. He didn't want it to be, he didn't want it to be a shitty angle. He didn't want it to be something less than if, cause she was a McMahon, my God, God damn it. Got to be on top. So that's clearly a memorable moment. Is this something you guys did pre-tapes with, uh, how was she, was she nervous? Talk me through what you remember about her making her on camera debut like this. I'm really nervous, but very inside of her own head and just thinking about everything and, and re reconstructing everything in her head. Plus on top of that, you have Vince who's Vince McMahon, who also happens to be her father and he's producing and, and I dare say overproducing a little bit, uh, on every little thing that she does. So it it's, the pressure <laughs> was brutal, but the stuff that we did in the limo, that was, that was pre-taped and we made sure that we were protected there. Um, but the other stuff out in front of the audience, man, it was like, okay, it's showtime. Let's go. And she held her own. The next night on raw, we see the ministry of darkness, bring Stephanie wearing a long black dress into the building. Paul bears carrying the big book later. The ministry comes out with Stephanie tied to the undertaker symbol and they carry it to the ring and lay the symbol against the ropes. And she's screaming for help. The undertaker says this is on Vince's shoulders. And now Austin has shown his true colors. Bear opens the book and reads what sounds like the opening of a marriage ceremony. We're here today to join Stephanie and the undertaker. Eventually, of course, there's a big run in a big pull apart. Austin's there to save the day and untire from the symbol and she's hugging Austin as Vince finally comes out Vince and Stephanie hug and Vince thanks Austin to end the show and when Steph hugged Steve he kept his arms in the air and this certainly makes Steve out to be a bigger hero I'm sure we're going to talk about the symbol another time chat me up about this angle and the way this was put together Look, I, I thought it was done really well because you you got Steve to come to the aid of the McMahons, and he did it. As you said, it was it was the right thing to do. It was the moral thing to do, if you will. But Steve wasn't coming out to help Vince as he was to keep Undertaker and to protect Stephanie. But it also, in the story made you feel for Mr. McMahon. And it also made Mr. McMahon a human for that moment to where he had to thank Steve and also be a little bit in debt to Steve. And that was a pivotal part in the story to get Vince or to get Steve to trust 
the McMahons and by putting the naive, vulnerable Stephanie in harm's way, that did it. No doubt. I mean, it's a, it's a memorable angle. Something people are still talking about today, you know, on the heels of this, it feels like you guys don't really know what to do with her here. And that was certainly a worthwhile reason to put her into an angle with the whole limousine and on the symbol the next night, whose idea is it to put her in a romantic relationship before we talk about test, whose idea was it to, I mean, she's out here all of a sudden as the damsel in distress. And now the next we hear from her, she's romantically linked to someone. Oh boy. Well, it's a convoluted, uh, series of events that took place and test was one of the guys from the very first Funkin dojo and the guys that we had brought up to Stanford to, to work out with Dory funk and my brother, Tom, and he had the size, he had the look and it was, Hey, we can do something with this big bastard. So we decided that we were going to go further with Andrew Martin, who is test, put him under a, developmental contract but when vince russo saw him russo looked at him and saw a a young kevin nash and that's a quote he thought that here is the guy that can make dx could be the big heater for dx if we bring in andrew martin and we make him a part of dx and and he's the the big nasty kevin nash role and um Everybody's going to love it. Well, he pitched it and he pitched it like that, apparently to triple H and other guys in, in DX. And they looked at him and said, he's no Kevin Nash. He's not as big as Kevin Nash. And, and we had him in TV doing dark matches. Um, I don't think anybody is ever going to accuse Kevin Nash of working like, uh, Ric Flair, but, no one was going to accuse uh, Andrew Martin of working like Kevin Nash either. He just was green as grass. And then the conversation comes up where they are talking to Andrew and they says, so tell me, where have you worked? How many matches have you had? And I believe he said he had 11 matches at that point. Now keep in mind, we signed him to a developmental deal. We signed him to have him go train in Calgary uh, with Brett and those guys. And, and we had, uh, all this shit going on, different things, but Andrew's thing was a developmental deal. And Russo saw him and wanted to put him on TV right away. We told him he wasn't ready. We told him he was green as grass and he needed more, but he felt new, young, put him in DX. Well, DX used that said, here this guy is, he's had 11 matches and you want to put him in DX. It's going to kill us. And they went to Vince. Vince was like, you're right. He sucks. But to kind of stick it to DX a little bit, we'll put him in a romantic relationship with Stephanie. And that was an idea that I guess Russo and uh, Ed Ferrara had to keep test and put him in a prominent role with Steph. And that was, that was their answer to, if he's not going to be a part of DX, we'll give him another storyline and prove that we can make him a star. So the idea was put him with Stephanie. 
Yeah. How? how? Why? How do we go be- from, God damn it, she's a McMahon. She's got to be on top. Have her get over Kevin Nash light instead. The idea was because she was a McMahon, it would help elevate him and it would be able to put him in, in a prominent light and put him in a prominent storyline because he's dating the boss's daughter. And that, that was the idea behind it. Do this whole big wedding thing. And, um, I think that at the end of it, Russo was going to have Tess uh, leave her at the altar or some kind of bullshit. But if you were to ask Russo, he'd tell you it was well thought out. If you were to ask anybody else, they'd tell you, you didn't have a clue what the fuck they were doing with it. All right. Well, the angle eventually leads to test versus Shane McMahon in a lover or lever match. At SummerSlam 99, where if Test wins, Shane has to stop trying to break them up. And if Shane wins, Test and Stephanie have to break up. Boy, this is good stuff. Yeah, bro. It's logical. If the brother doesn't want to, then they got to break. It was the convoluted storytelling of the time. So everything had to have a story. And if it didn't have a story, you make one up and just make it kind of forced in there. Didn't say it was good. Yeah. Well, it wasn't test wins. Not something said a lot back then. And Stephanie comes running to the ring to celebrate with him. And then on August 23rd, that edition of Monday night raw test gets down on his knees and asks Stephanie, Stephanie McMahon to marry him. And she said she needed more time, but she loved him. And a few days later on SmackDown, he does it again. And this time she accepts. Talk That's me- a whirlwind romance right there, by God. <laughs> Talk me through this. <laughs> I don't, you know, I know that he sort of gets a bad rap sometimes, I think, for Crash TV, but SummerSlam 99 happened on August 22nd. The very next day after he wins the lover or lever, he proposes. And a couple of days later on SmackDown, she accepts. Why rush the proposal and why not just accept the first time instead of delaying it? God damn it. Drama. Will she or won't she? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I can't answer that one. I, that was my bitch with everything in the in the late '90s was that we took things that could have gone on for six months and did them in six minutes. It was wait a minute, they just started allegedly. They just started dating, and and now we haven't we haven't even seen a relationship really of any kind, and now he's asking her to marry him. You know, I mean, if anybody's a gold digger there, you're looking at tests and going, what a bitch. So it it was rushed definitely. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was also one of those things that, yep, we did it folks. As if that wasn't enough, you guys announced that the wedding is going to take place on October 11th at the Georgia dome, because why the fuck wouldn't they get married on Monday night? Like. I know everybody I know got married on Monday night on TV, right? I'm a little shocked that you didn't do it. Uh, when I looked at your thing and said, October 13th, wait a minute. That's a Saturday. You got to get married either on a Sunday or a Monday. 
Very confusing to me, Conrad, your whole wedding thing. Well, nobody ran in. Nobody cried. There was no drama. Well, hang on. Nobody went in the pool. You said nobody cried, but you know that's not true. Oh, that's right. Rick. Well, Rick was crying when he got there. <laughs> like Rick, Rick showed up <laughs> and was crying for fuck's sake. Rick left because we ran out of tissue. <laughs> Chat me up here. You're hot shotting the wedding too. Did you guys already know when you have the proposal and then you plan the wedding and you announce that the wedding is going to happen? Did you already know what the end game was? Or at this point, are we just, we're going to get there and figure it out, pal. Well, I think uh, again, there's two different opinions here. One is Russo said he had an idea of what he wanted to do. And then Vince McMahon's idea was he just wanted to get it over with. And Vince wasn't buying test. He, he didn't like it. Um, he agreed to it to see what would happen, but then he saw it and did it and changed his mind. So he's the boss. He gets to change his mind. And from Vince McMahon's point of view, it was, I want to get this over with and, and be done with it. And we got to move on and, and change it up a little bit. Oh man. Well, as if that wasn't enough on the September 20th edition of raw, we see Stephanie's in ring debut as she teams up with her fiance test to beat Jeff Jarrett and Deborah. <laughs> they go a minute and 38 seconds when test gives Jarrett an elbow off the top and Stephanie pins him. That's right. Stephanie pinned Jeff Jarrett. Uh, where did this idea come from to get her in the ring? That also feels like a Vince Russo idea. It was, and it was, and it was his idea to ever beat Jeff. So, um, let's get her, you know, let's get her in the ring and, and she's got to wrestle. I, I hated it. It just was too much too soon. And it didn't make a lot. It didn't make any sense. There was no rhyme or reason to it at that time. If, if you're going to go in the ring and it's her first time in the ring, make it special and really make it mean something. And to me, this was just a, well, we got, we need a segment. So, Hey, let's have Stephanie and test, uh, have a tag team match. That's what I thought it was. That's how I looked at it. Oh man. Did she have any sort of training before she decided to jump in the ring? Yes. And, and Stephanie, when she first started this whole foray, she started training and she got in the ring with my brother at the warehouse, uh, the TV studio, and she would train with him every single night. <laughs> and it was, I remember Tom thinking that Kurt angle was brutal to train with because Kurt would train all day long and want to get in the ring and go for four hours. And Stephanie would come after work and they would train into the wee hours of the night because she wanted to learn how to take a bump. She wanted to learn the right way. And she wanted to be able to say that she could do it and do it safely. And the only way that Vince was going to let her in the ring was if she did train and she did know what the hell she was doing. And that was important to him that, that she train the right way. Well, if you're looking to train the right way, I feel like we should mention that your brother and Glenn Jacobs have a wrestling school in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tell everybody about it, Bruce. Well, Tom is the head trainer there. And as we said, Tom trained all the McMahons, Kurt angle, the rock 
Mark Henry, on down the line, the number of people that he's trained in the WWE is endless. Uh, he and Kane, Glenn Jacobs, uh, are opening a wrestling school in Knoxville in January. And it's the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy. The website is jpwrestlingacademy.com. And you can learn directly from the guy that trained probably half of the WWE roster that's still there today, uh, Tom. And give him a shot, but it's training the way that it should be, in my opinion, and not just because he's my brother. But I do think that uh, Tom is probably one of the best trainers in the business. And now is your opportunity for if you're an aspiring wrestler, check out jpwrestlingacademy.com. I mean, you really think about the list of guys that your brother trained and fucking Kane. Man, that's a training school right there. jpwrestlingacademy.com. Check it out. Uh, let's talk about your boy, though. Jeff Jarrett, how did he feel about eating a pen here from the boss's daughter? Jeff's a professional shit. Jeff didn't care. Jeff, I think Jeff would have been pinned by anybody. Uh, Jeff's a businessman and a professional. Uh, you know, we've had our differences and some people would say he wasn't professional in some situations, including me in this particular instance, he was a pro and did what he was asked to do. Well, on September 27th, you guys asked Stephanie and Tess to go shopping for wedding tuxes, but Tess seems a little bored. Uh, he wants to shop for lingerie instead. Well, when you went shopping for wedding dresses or in tuxes, did you, were you bored? No. Okay. Well, Tess was. Yeah. I don't know. It just. That part, that part doesn't feel as much like Vince Russo. It feels more like Stephanie. God damn it. He wants to see those puppies. Get my daughter in some lingerie stat. Oh, what the hell? He's holding up that one of those goddamn butt floss things. That's just nasty. What the fuck? There's nothing covering the behind. I need coverage. I don't Thong's disgusted, Vince. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, why did you guys get so many thong shots? Oh, Kevin Dunn liked it. I think everybody liked it. Well, yeah, except Vince, but yeah, it goes up in there. God. Yeah. Does Vince get dookie on there? Uh, if there's dookie on there, he's dating the wrong kind of girl. Well, just saying, Hey, where, where's Linda on all this? You know, all of a sudden her kids are not only working in the family business, which I get, that's pretty common, but they're on TV and they're being tied to symbols and they're going lingerie shopping. Where's Linda on all this? Linda was fine with it. I think Linda was, was proud. If anything, there was probably hesitation on Stephanie getting involved more so than more so than Shane, but it was all new. So and it was all happening so fast. Linda liked the separation of characters on television and then business. So after a while, it all mixed, man. And it all came together. And before you know it, you know, they're asking for divorces on TV and real life. And all this shit is, is intermingling. Um, you can't tell one from the other. So it was, it was a strange time just in general and the way that the business was going and, you know, reality 
mirrored fantasy, fantasy mirrored reality. And I think for the most part, she endorsed, you know, she was fine with it. I don't want to say she endorsed it, but I think she was fine with it. Let's talk about the rebellion pay-per-view goes down on October 2nd. Uh, there's a, a skit here where Davy boy Smith is trying to nail Vince McMahon with a trash can, but Vince ducks and the can hits Stephanie. Now they show it on replay, which is kind of fun because it comes nowhere close to hitting her, but it still knocks her out and she has to be carried out wearing a neck brace. Bulldog is refusing to apologize the rest of the show. And the next night on raw, she has amnesia. Is this the most Vince Russo shit ever? No, it's not. Um, Vince Russo was gone at this point. Vince Russo just left. Okay. And the, I think that Vince McMahon was looking at Vince did not like, he, he wasn't a big fan of Tess. It's not fair to say he didn't like him. He liked him. He just was not a fan of his and didn't think that that storyline was going to go anywhere. The idea Russo is, is said that he had was that they would go have a wedding and test would end up standing up Stephanie for the wedding and turning heel. Um, Vincent think that did anything for Steph and, and it was, he also felt it wouldn't help test either. So Russo was gone and Hunter was also getting in the picture at this point too. And Hunter had come in and said, Hey, what about this? And it was Hunter that had pitched the idea about I, Stephanie and before you get there, I'm talking about amnesia. It's well, I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. So Hunter had pitched this whole thing and they said, well, what, you know, how do we get there? We, we got to get to that point. The thing was, and this was, man, this was Vince McMahon and it's like, she'll get amnesia. So the throw was the, the, the whole thing in the UK was that the can hit her, hit her head, and she got amnesia. She couldn't remember anything, and she knew that there was something with Tess, but she just couldn't put her finger on it and, and what was going on. That bought time. So let her have amnesia until we can figure out. Russo's gone. Now he's got um, a new regime coming in. Brian Gewertz and Tommy Blanche had just come in, and, and it started. But they're brand new. Vince is on the lookout for a new head writer, which would eventually come in Chris Kresge in January. But the amnesia was only to buy time. They didn't want to go with what was already planned. And Vince needed to, to get some time to figure it out. And that's what he did. Let's talk briefly. We'll circle back about two names you mentioned there that we almost never talk about on the show. Tommy Blancha. He was at our LA show last year. It's really the first time I got to spend any time with him and, uh, sort of hear about his experience, but we have not talked about him a lot here. Can you give us a Tommy Blancha story or a storyline maybe that we can relate and say that was a Blancha idea? The hand. Oh God. Tommy Blancha was the doctor in the famous may young giving birth to a hand skit. Tommy was a writer, I believe, uh, with Conan O'Brien and he was, he was good friends with Conan's sidekick, Andy. Um, one of the most creative guys I've, I've ever been around funny as shit. Tommy, Tommy could make you crack up pretty much in, in any situation at any time with the driest one liner comments 
ever. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal writer, phenomenal guy. And he and Brian had, had just started. They, they thought they were coming in to work with Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara and Russo left and now they're there and they're working with Vince and, um, for TVs during this time, I was doing some of the TV and the formatting of the TV, but the ideas, and it was like, here's what we've got format it, make it work. And, and that's what I was doing. Terry Taylor was on his way out. Um, and Vince was just trying to reconfigure and restructure what he was going to do with the, the writing thing. And his idea was he was never going to have one, one guy like a Vince Russo in that role ever again. That was what made that decision. What about Chris Kresge? We've got a handful of guys who ask questions about Chris Kresge every single week. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. We could post the topic about survivor series 87 and they want to know about Chris fucking Kresge. <laughs> Chris Kresge. He wrote, uh, he wrote the book growing up Brady. I believe that's the name of it. And Chris was a, I think he was a sitcom writer or I don't even know what the, I know he knew everything that there was to know about the Brady bunch. He was a huge baseball fan. Um, really nice guy. And I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. I don't mean to speak ill and say that Kresge wasn't creative, but Chris wouldn't say, uh, shit with a mouthful of it. What does he, that, what does that even mean? It means that he just would sit there and smile and nod a lot. Vince, the first time that Vince had a production meeting, introducing Kresge. He's like, this is Chris Kresge. He's a new lead writer. He's going to have a board in his office and it's going to have everybody's name up on the board. And underneath that, he's going to have ideas for everyone on the roster. It's going to be great. So that became the mantra. It's like, oh, hey, that's the guy that has the board in his office with everybody's name on it. Um, you guys, I, I you guys were just looking for a reason to shit on him at that point. Were you not? On some, no, on, no. On, on some level, when the old regime hears that a new guy's coming in and this is the savior on some level, everybody's like, what the fuck? That has to be, you know, it, it almost diminishes what you've been doing because the, the boss has a new flavor of the month. That's commonplace in work. Is it not? Yeah, it is. But to the contrary, Chris was such a nice guy. You rooted for, you wanted to help him. You really wanted to help him, help him succeed. He just, it was a different world for him. First of all, live television, but also all of these different personalities, everybody coming, coming into him and then trying to deal with Vince. And in the middle of all of this, he's in an unknown world not, uh, you're in a world of guys that speak up and, um, bust balls and are constantly trying to create and come up with shit. And if you're not coming up with shit, Vince is going to just bulldoze you, man. And you don't exist anymore. And what happened was <laughs> Kresge would kind of defer to Brian and, and Tommy. And it got to the point where Vince would come in to have meetings. And instead of saying, okay, Chris, what do you got? He would look at Brian. What do you got? 
and Brian would you know give him all those notes, and then they would take it from there. But Kresge was personally loved the guy to death. He, he's no longer with us. He, he he passed. He had cancer, and and he left way too early. But he was he was a creative guy. He just didn't know how to express himself in this world, and he was very shy, which didn't help either. So in a in a world of extroverts and people you know, uh, out there all the time, he just, um, stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't belong. Nice guy though. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the out you guys created for yourself on the October 11th raw, uh, which was test and Stephanie, where they're supposed to get married. Stephanie can't remember a thing. She says she knows the test is wonderful, but can't remember why. Therefore, she can't marry him tonight. At this point, you guys are starting to figure out, hey, here's where we're going with this. When Triple H first pitched it, the the idea, who does he pitch it to? How was it received by everybody in the writing team? What did Vince think? What did Stephanie think? All that. He pitched it to Vince, and he pitched it to Vince only. Vince and Triple H are the ones that pretty much came up with the story and were dictating the story. I got it directly from Vince, but that's how that's how it happened. And those were the two that created the scenarios going forward. On the October 11th Raw, the Atlanta one, um, I remember very specifically because I remember the shit that was written for that show, and it was shit. But. I heard Vince just saying, God damn it. She's got amnesia. She doesn't remember anything. And that's exactly what I wrote. (laughs) Um, Segment with Stephanie test. I love you, but I don't know who the fuck you are basically. And I can't marry you tonight because I I just don't remember. Um, And then we started, you know, going from there. But that was that whole storyline during this time. It was all Vince and triple H and there's a, there's a story even going back, um, where Vince Russo would, would talk about how he always knew where this was going and that triple H many years later had buried the angle and talked about that. They came up with the whole amnesia deal because what Russo had sucked. Well, Russo goes in to defend it. Like, no, you don't understand, bro. We were doing this not realizing that the interview that he heard was something that Triple H had done back at that time in whatever, 1999 or 2000. So it was, it was just a, it was a rebuilding time and it was getting everybody back in the right positions and trying to put people in place and figure out who was going to shake out in what position on the creative team and in the creative storylines. What other ideas were kicked around before you got settled on triple H? I don't know that any were. All I know is that I know from Vince's standpoint that he did not want to go through with the test deal. And probably from Vince's standpoint, it was, he just wanted to get Stephanie out of that angle and try and figure out something else. Triple H gave him an alternative to say, what if to get to the whole thing with Vince and the championship what if I come in and do what we did, which was the whole getting her drunk on the wedding and getting married in Vegas. All right. So let's, let's keep it going here. The November 1st raw Steph is doing color commentary. 
How the yeah, fuck? I, I apologize for that, folks. God dang. It feels like, I mean, this is just, <laughs> this is nepotism at its worst, man. She's in a spot where she is not, she is not flourishing here. Whose idea was this? Vince's idea. Get her out there, get the exposure, just keep the story going. But she wasn't, she wasn't out there to be a color commentator. Sure. It was for one, it was for one night to just continue the exposure and keep her out there telling stories. Later in the show, she proposes to test in the ring. Vince's idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. All this during this time, man, pretty much. Yeah. Vince McMahon. Cool. Thank you for just saying yes. Well, I mean, that it was, that, that's all there was to it. He, he was, he was calling the shots and, and that was, that was his thing. We're going to get, we're going to get to the end of this. So we'll have the, we'll have the wedding and, and, or think we're going to have the wedding and do the spot with triple H on the November 8th raw test is wrestling triple H for the world title. Uh, they go 10 minutes and 23 seconds. Shane is the referee and he punches triple H early. Vince is also interfering. Uh, they go 10 minutes and 23 seconds. Ultimately triple H wins by count out. It's an interesting match because fans actually believe for a minute, um, that test could win because Vince is hitting triple H with the belt, but there's no ref to count. Um, eventually test hits the meltdown, but the video wall was on and they show a woman, uh, about to be attacked and Vince and Shane and test think it's Stephanie and they all run out. So I'm not sure how. He lost by countdown if the referee lost, but either way, you know, this is also not Russo's fault. what did you think of uh test with his cup of coffee in the big time here with the title match on Raw? Well, to my recollection, the match wasn't bad. No, the fans but were it into was it. it was all story to to get to where you wanted to go. So it was trying to stack the deck. And trying to stack the deck that Vince is going to get the championship off Triple H come hell or high water by hook or by crook. The whole family's involved and we're, we're going to get it one way or another. So it was that just continuing that story and so much of this shit. This was also during that time where you'd have a production meeting and leave the production meeting and by the time that uh, eight o'clock rolled around or nine o'clock rolled around the whole show was changed and Vince would be giving you, giving it to you as, as you go. And we would just, okay, got it. So shit was changing and, and he was tweaking everything. Um, kind of just overkill. My, micromanaging was the word I'm looking for. So let's talk about it. It's announced that the wedding is going to take place on November 29th in Los Angeles. Of course, it's test and Stephanie here at this point, the week before we see some bridal shower segments with Stephanie on November 22nd and may young is here acting like she's drunk and eventually falls into the cake. The cake winds up in both Mula and Stephanie's face as well. A few days later, did you produce that one? No, I did not. A few days later on SmackDown, Stephanie's opening up wedding presents while Test was playing a WWF video game. Test winds up leaving and DX beats him up in the parking lot and pours garbage on him, then stuffs him in the trunk of a car and Billy Gunn drives off. 
So of course, you know, what's happening here now, DX is going to argue with Vince while Stephanie will start pounding on triple H and later in the show, we would see that triple H had given test and Stephanie a catcher's mask to wear on the honeymoon. What's the significance of that? What the fuck is up with that? I have absolutely no idea. Never got it. Didn't get it. Then don't get it. Now I can only assume that even back then, even back then the boys knew about blue chew because everybody knows, man, that if blue chews around, well, you better look out, man, blue that's blue. Like the color blue. It's going to bring you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, you know, this stuff really works and you can take it anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready anytime an opportunity arises. And best of all, blue chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no embarrassing in-person doctor's visits, no more waiting in the pharmacy lines. You don't have to be awkward with this it just shows up and it's made right here in the USA and blue chew repairs and ships direct. So it's much cheaper than those other big names you've probably heard about before. So now this is the perfect chance to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom. Go to bluechew.com. We've got a special deal for all of our listeners, Bruce, tell them about it. Well, right now you will get your first shipment free. That's F R E E absolutely free. When you use our special promo code wrestle, all you gotta do is pay $5 shipping, go to bluechew.com. That's B L U E C H E W.com. Use our promo code wrestle to get your free shipment. All you gotta do, man, is pay $5 shipping and handling. It was the hottest wedding gift at your party was your little packets of blue chew that you had everywhere. Um, I was behind John, so I didn't get any, but, uh, everybody was in line for it. You haven't gotten any in a long time. Well, you know, yeah. but, uh, somebody's going to get some on the honeymoon here. So there's a catcher's mask, which doesn't make any sense. Now, later in the show, there's a fire in Vince's office. Shane, Vince, Stephanie, and test are there gasping for air. And the show ends with triple H cutting a promo, challenging McMahon to a match where if he wins, Vince can't fire him or cut his pay. And he threatens to sue Vince if Vince hit him. Of course, Vince is fine after that near death experience, just a few minutes earlier. And unfortunately it wasn't test night as he, Shane and Stephanie are on the ground again, apparently having fallen downstairs. Vince runs away to see what's going on as the show goes off the air. What the fuck are you guys even doing at this point? God damn it. You need diversions. We need to ask questions. You don't give fucking answers. Ask questions. Okay. Well, what does it mean though? <laughs> that used to piss him off too, but that would be the answer to the question, man. You got to ask questions. Well, so the answer to your question is you got to ask questions. This is dumb. This is dumb. On the November 29th raw, Stephanie is having her wedding party and they're getting her loaded somewhere in there. May young and Moolah double team, a male stripper, which is probably a treat. And the guys bringing champagne is in cahoots here with triple H. Little did we know they're going to spike Stephanie's drink. And later in the show test would be triple H in eight minutes and 20 seconds. And then Vince wearing a Vince McMahon mask is the referee 
Triple H had test pinned, but Vince wouldn't count. So Triple H decked him. And then Shane comes out and hits Triple H with a chair. Test comes off the top, and Vince gives him the fast count. And Triple H tells police that Vince has violated his order where he couldn't come within 50 feet of him. And the cops are going to check it out. And they're going to go to Patterson and Briscoe, who claim that Vince is in the bathroom. And they can prove it to the cops by just having them smell the bathroom. That's true, by the way. You you can tell when that motherfucker's been in the bathroom. But we're saying that just randomly, strangers know. Oh, that's Vince. No, it's got a scent, man. It's got its own odor. But everybody knows it, apparently, right? Apparently, yes. Goddamn, yes. It's like DNA. I feel like the cops were probably by the bathroom and they sounded like the guy in No Holds Barred. Uh, later in the show, what the fuck are we even doing later oh in the show? It's time for the wedding. Cause why wouldn't it be uh, test comes out for his entrance music and he's announced as Andrew Martin. No, not really. He's announced his test. The test is getting married. And when they ask if anyone should speak now or forever, hold their peace, you know, what's coming here comes triple H and they show a video of Stephanie passed out after being spiked by the guy in the hotel. And they drove to a drive through wedding chapel in Vegas. And somehow Triple H has managed to marry Stephanie. And just before the show goes off the air, Triple H has to mention that they have consummated the marriage many times that evening, which means Blue Chew was definitely involved. Talk to me about all this. Well, that, that all was Vince and Triple H. And it was their doing. As a matter of fact, all of that footage that was shot by triple H and them. That was all just homemade stuff. Uh, been asked a million times if I produced it, I did not. I did arrange it with the little white chapel there in Vegas, the drive through. I got married there. Jim Ross got married there and several, several other folks have had wedded bliss in that establishment. So we did set it up with them, but that was all hundred percent triple H produced shot everything. Uh, that night getting in there. Now, I, I don't know who shot the the stuff with the waiter earlier that night. That was just a probably a production, Sahadi-type production deal. But the stuff at the wedding chapel was, was shot by Triple H, and that was something he and Vince had come up with. All right, cool. Um, Triple H takes credit for this whole thing, and uh, I think a lot of people would point to this storyline as being the one that really put him on the map. I mean, he had been the world champ before, but he's about to embark on, I guess the reign of terror and a run like nobody else, not just on screen, but behind the scenes as well. Talk to me a little bit about how some of the guys in the back were feeling about triple H at this point. Now, what, specifically the idea that he was able to just pitch this angled events not go through the writing team, just straight to Vince. They're changing things. They're doing things on the fly. And then he's even shooting his own stuff here as the final go home segment in the main topic on the big show. This has to be met with a little bit of resistance from some of the locker room where they're just looking for a reason to poo poo this. Well, first of all, there was no writing team to go through that. So that, that wasn't the structure at that time, it was just Vince. 
And Vince had positioned himself and told everybody that. Yes, the, Brian was there. Tommy was there. They were brand new. Yes, I was there. I was doing formatting and different things. But that was Vince. That's the way that Vince wanted at that time. You come to me with your ideas and let's do it. That was an invitation from Vince McMahon. So that's how that happened. However, the Triple H stuff was the effect on the talent. It was still a hangover from those who had lived it with Sean. And there was that rumblings of, oh boy, this is going to be Sean part two. And Triple H, of course, learned from Sean and he's going to get in Vince's ear and he's going to run everything. So there were definitely those kind of rumblings at that time because people never in a million years going back to the first time that Hunter won the championship, people were like, what the fuck? If you were to ask all the agents and everything at that time, you know, is Triple H the guy to go with and put the title on right now? They would have said no. And to the man, I think everybody said, no, we shouldn't do that with Hunter. But we did, and it worked. And so Hunter, by invitation of Vince, Vince was like, what do you got? You know, give it to me. And he did. And Vince has given that same speech and the same opportunity to a lot of guys. If you got ideas, bring it to me. And if he likes them, then by God, you're in, and he's going to take your ideas. And he liked Hunter's ideas and he took his ideas and used it. So that was, there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of people behind the scenes going, oh boy, he worked himself into a position. Now he's put himself with the boss's daughter. So now he's going to be, you know, go all the way to the top. And there was a lot of jealousy. And I think there was a lot of guys that were, were talking about that in the back. Uh, how did test feel about all this? I mean, it does feel like he's poised for the big push going to get the big rub and now the rug is yanked out from under him here devastated and didn't understand it he was he had been led to believe there was this going to be this big push for him he was going to turn heel and that he was going to have this big run but it did you know obviously it didn't happen so he he was devastated he was hurt by it and probably more than anything a little confused you know, you kind of walk around like that, uh, hurt puppy dog. And it just, I think that it took a, took a shitload of wind out of his sails. That's for sure. When you see a guy like that and, and he's relatively new to the business and you've been around specifically this company for a long time and you see that he sort of had the wind taken out of his sails. Do you give him a word of encouragement or is it just like, fuck him? No, definitely. Because I liked, I liked Andrew. I I really liked him and it's part of the business. So you have to explain plus the fact that he hadn't been around the business a long time either. You know, here's a guy who's maybe two years, even being around the business who gets into it and is promised all of these big things. And then it's just yanked out from under him. Just encouraged him and let him know that, Hey man, you came in in a position that no matter who you are, it was destined to fail because he wasn't ready for it. He was not ready for the position he was put into. So yeah, I definitely encouraged him and told him just get in there. And every single day is, is another day. And it's, it's another day of experience. So learn as much as you can. Keep your nose clean and keep getting better every day. And it'll come. It's not going to happen overnight. 
behind the scenes, what's going on in their real lives? Triple H and Stephanie here. Um, Stephanie is working with creative and she's shadowing Vince at the time. And triple H is with China. Nope. Nope. Talking about real life. What's Stephanie doing in her real life? She was working in the office with Vince and creative. What do I mean? I don't understand what the question is. Does she have a boyfriend? Is she dating? Is she in a relationship? Uh, yeah, she had a boyfriend. Uh, during this time we're in 1999. She, yeah, she, she had a boyfriend all the way until, um, roughly 2001. Yeah. 2001, because it was the 2000, I got to think parties of, of how I remember, uh, meeting them and stuff, but yeah, she had a boyfriend, best of my knowledge. What do you remember about that boyfriend? What can you tell us about him? Dude, I only met I only met a couple of her boyfriends a couple of times, and and they were all nice guys. The, the last one before Triple H was I think he was a baseball player, um, but just a real quiet, nice guy. And the the other one I think guy she was dating during this time was somebody from high school and somebody that she had known for a while. But she always had you know they were always real nice. I didn't think anything of it. Was there ever discussion with Vince about, you know, my daughter will, I mean, you know, we hear a lot of people say things like, you know, my, my kids will never be in the business. I'd never let my son in the business or I won't let my daughter do what I do or whatever. Was there ever any sort of, obviously they followed him into the business here, but is he sort of drawing the line at, uh, God damn it. She's not allowed to date any of the boys or whatever. Yeah. I think that was understood. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know that, uh, that I used to paint pictures to Vince about like the nastiest, most disgusting thing that you could possibly imagine, no matter what it was. Um, you'd see somebody on the street homeless. Go, what if she brought that guy home? Um, things like that. But re- you know, wrestler was not even in the equation. I think that Vince made it pretty clear that he didn't want her dating any of the boys. Well, at least in storyline, it's happening here on the December 6th raw. Stephanie would uh, try to get triple H to sign an annulment. And, uh, he instead wants her to go in the shower with him and the fans in the background are actually cheering triple H on because, uh, he's sort of the face at this point. And this is the, the cool edgy heel here, but that's over. Uh, eventually later in the show, triple H comes down to the ring with some flowers and he's showing with fans and. They're all chanting that he's an asshole and uh, he chastises them for crapping all over Stephanie when she was pouring her heart out to all of these fans. And he said, they're calling her names like slut. And he says, you know, she's not a slut. I'd never marry a slut. And she comes to him with papers and blames him for the fans ruining what was a great thing and cries for a moment. And, um, he fake cries and calls her out and says, you know, he'll let her have what she wants. Talk me through this whole annulment storyline, because eventually, you know, Vince McMahon's involved. Well, yeah, the, the whole idea was you wanted people to truly believe that she wed against her will <laughs> and she is drugging and the, you know, the backstory 
as, as we'll come to find out, was one that they're really in cahoots here. Uh, Stephanie and Triple H, and that she she actually fell in love with him and so on and so forth. So it, it's all part of a ruse now to basically sucker Vince in. And they're setting up a match here for Triple H and Vince McMahon, but there's a restraining order, so Vince can't do anything now. And some of this is really good promo work by Triple H. But as we get ready to, to build towards this a few days later on SmackDown, Test apologizes to Stephanie. Stephanie gives him back the ring. They both cried and they're about to kiss when Triple H has X-Pac do a run in. And at the Armageddon pay-per-view, it finally happens. Triple H and Vince McMahon wrestle. And at the end of the match, Triple H gets a pipe, but then puts the pipe down and grabs the sledgehammer. There's a couple of low blows back and forth. Eventually Stephanie's in there. And triple H is teasing that he's going to hit Stephanie with the sledgehammer, but then he drops the sledgehammer and then they hug and kiss to end the show. And what do you know? It looks like Stephanie who's been portrayed as this damsel in distress, the good girl for all these months is now making a heel turn. This is all Vince and triple H doing this. Yep. Ship off the old block. God damn it. She's a natural heel. It's worth mentioning the next night raw crushes in the ratings. So even though we're sort of poking fun at this, man, it was over here. Overall raw is going to double nitro in every head to head quarter, except the main event doing a 6.1 rating. Nitro is going to fall to a 2.82 rating. So it's incredible. On that show, Vince is in the ring calling out Triple H and calling him a rapist and a coward. Triple H's music hits, but instead it's Stephanie wearing leather pants. And she talks about bashing his brains in with a sledgehammer. And, uh, she says, like it or not, we're married. And it's always been about Vince, even at the expense of his own family. And she loved Andrew, but did not want to get married. Fans start to call her a bitch. And she says, she's not daddy's little girl anymore. She's going to do things her way. And it feels damn good. She says she used to get butterflies when triple H would look at her and she didn't mean for it to happen, but it did. And she liked how he stood up to Vince and made business personal. And she reminded Vince that he allowed her to be abducted. And she talked about how she was sacrificed simply so he could screw Austin. It goes around, comes around, and the best way to get back at dear old dad is to marry the man he hates the most. That's what really turns her on, and Vince looks ill. Uh, Triple H and Stephanie kiss, and I gotta say, pretty good finish to the storyline here, is it not? Yeah, I thought it was great, and it was again, it was a reaction to the crowd reactions already. The audience wasn't buying Steph. <laughs> at this point and Hunter was doing things that were cool. So they were getting into that and they liked that he had gotten the girl and the whole shit with Vince, they weren't buying as a baby face. And so her turning heel made sense and they loved to boo her. They still love to boo her. She's a natural heel. How would, how would uh Cornette describe her? She's a heel motherfucker. <laughs> God damn, fucker. She's a heel. Um, when does the real life relationship start to happen? Well, 
And again, I was talking to somebody today trying to figure out the timeline. Nobody knows the timeline uh, except for Hunter and Steph. No one really knows the timeline. I can tell you, I can go back the uh, New Year's 2000. Big party at Vince's house and Stephanie was there with, with her boyfriend and what have you. Really nice guy and, and so on and so forth. That went on through WrestleMania uh, 2000 that year. And then you really didn't hear too much about uh, her and her boyfriend at that time. So let's fast forward to January of 2001. And Jerry Briscoe and I have this thing that we used to sit back and, and you watch people. I'm, I'm a people watcher. I like to just kind of observe things. And we used to see two people hanging out together uh, and catch them on the road sometimes hanging out together. And you'd go, oh boy, that that's going to turn into a couple right there. And we used to have a term for it. It actually was Vince's term. And the first time that I heard Vince use it was when Hunter and China had got together. And Vince said, I think he's worked himself into a shoot. So we use the same, same term here. We're, we're watching uh, everything go on and rehearsals and all this other stuff. And they had to kiss on screen and they had to be boyfriend, girl, or husband and wife on screen a lot. And, but man, if he's not careful, he's going to work himself into a shoot here. And that was probably January 2001 that I ever noticed it. When I knew it was the first uh, XFL game. And that's when I knew they were together because it was uh, something Stephanie had said to me about something I had said to Triple H. And it was just weird how she defended it. And I, I thought, okay, they're together. Because she wouldn't defend it like that, if it just it was a uh, just intuition, I guess is the best way to describe it. So that was February third, two thousand one. China's last match with the company is May of two thousand one. She's not released until November of two thousand one. What was the relationship like with China and Stephanie before China knew? What was going on? It was great. And even, you know, and here's the other thing that, again, people always get astounded at. On the writing team, the biggest proponent and the biggest cheerleader for China in the room at all times was Stephanie. She was always on us. We've got to come up with something bigger for China. We've got to do more for China. We, I want ideas for China. We've got to keep her in a top role. And this was before anybody knew anything at all. And I don't, and again, I don't know how long they were together, uh, before anybody knew, but I do know that the biggest proponent was, was Stephanie for China. It's, it's like, we, you know, we got to do more for her. we got to come up with ideas. We've got to keep her in the spotlight. And we were doing the, the playboy thing and, and it's, ah, oh, I need more ideas for China and we've got to feature her more. And, uh, she was her biggest, her absolute biggest cheerleader. Well, that's going to change. Um, no, it never, that's the thing. It never did change. 
till till the day that Joni walked out, it didn't change. And I'm talking even the fucking weekend before the big meeting, which we'll get to with China and, and Vince. It didn't change. She was like, you got to make this work. You, you know, you, we've got to come up with something for her. It never changed. It was weird. Yeah. China has gone on record as saying that when this Triple H Stephanie storyline starts to progress, Triple H starts to get a little grumpier, a little grouchier, and he starts staying later and later for meetings. And he's always in Vince's office. And she finds herself just hanging out in the arena for what feels like forever after a show because he's in a meeting in Vince's office. And she's told a story where at the end of the show, he's supposed to come get her. That's their routine, but he never does. So she just stays in the building until 2 AM and the janitor has to let her out of the building because he's either in Vince's office or he's already left. Do you remember hearing the story about China hanging out at the building till 2 AM? I've never heard that one. She says she remembers on Valentine's day that she saw roses in triple H's dressing room and they were delivered for her. And she said that everyone knew, but her kind of thing. Um, I'm sure the insinuation here is that she sent him flowers. She being Stephanie pronouns, pal was, was that, you know, we hear that story a lot from the other side where it's like Sean and Sonny and Candido is the the guy left looking like a goof for lack of a better word, because everybody sort of knows, but nobody's really talking about it. Do you remember there being a time, maybe not in 99, maybe not even in 2000, but in 2001 where you felt like everybody knows, but nobody's really saying anything. I don't think, I think there were rumblings and I think that there was, you know, the, the gossip and the rumor and all that bullshit and people whispering about it. I don't think anybody knew for sure. So it, it was again, from, from my vantage point and, and like sitting there with Gerald sometimes going, Hmm, there's more to this story. And then just the, the intuition at, at the XFL game thinking that, you know what, they're, they're more than there's something more going on here that I think people just were, were guessing and, and thinking, and I don't, again, I don't know what the timeline of things were, but I think that there was enough between them in public and backstage that people were whispering and, and saying, oh yeah, they're together. Oh yeah. He's, 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 he's hitting that. So that probably was taking place, uh, early 2001. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. But those of us, and again, I was talking to someone that, that was as close to it as, as you could be. And, and they were saying that they didn't know and that they'd even made a comment that one of the wrestlers had, had said, Hey, is there something going on there? And they said, man, I'm with her all the time and, and it couldn't be. And so I was like, okay, gotcha. I, I didn't want to be the only one naive. They hit it pretty damn good. If they, if they were doing it earlier than that, they did a great job of concealing it. 
China says that once she asked triple H if something was going on and if there was some sort of chemistry between him and Stephanie. And she says that triple H basically went off on her asking, how could you think that? And China said she believed that there was something going on. And she also thought that her jealousy over what was going on was probably going to be the catalyst for them breaking up. But eventually she finds a love letter from Stephanie in his briefcase. And she said she picked the lock one day to his briefcase while he was out and she found the letter. So she went snooping and found something she wasn't ready to look at. And it was a letter dating back to August, back when they first were really starting this storyline, which would have been 99. Um, this story about her finding a letter has really grown into its own storyline of sorts on the internet message boards and things like that. When did you first hear about this China found a letter story? I look, I didn't get any of the, the behind the scenes detail until probably May of that year when, when everything kind of blew up with China. But I, I don't think it would have been 99. I could believe it maybe being in 2000, but I don't believe it going back to 99. I, I just don't believe it. And if it is, then they're, then they're the best fucking workers in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I just don't believe it. And uh, again, I could buy it being maybe 2000 and what have you. Um, but 99, no. And it, it you know, shit again, you work together so much. I'm not making excuses, but shit happens. Uh, yeah, I understand. Um, she says after she found the letter, uh, she contacted Vince and was soon fired. And because well, she was just for the record, China was never fired because she was fired. This is her words. China said she showed up at raw one day. And she said it was like a parting of the Red Sea. She said she was walking down the hall and guys were just uh, separating and ignoring her and looking away and nobody's really wanting to make eye contact. Here, she would talk to Stephanie for about two minutes. And she says that Stephanie was being belligerent and attacking China. And China told her that if she can't talk to her, she'll go get her dad. And Stephanie said she had nothing to say to her. So Vince ends up coming in and China tells him how disappointed she was and how she didn't want to lose her job. And she said that after meeting with Vince, she was sent home and then was later sent a fax saying that she was no longer needed. And she said, triple H never spoke another word to her. And the next time she saw him was when he came to pick up Sean Waltman to take him to rehab many years later. I'm sure we'll do a full China episode at some point and give the full scoop on all this. But I do want to mention that the then head of talent relations, Jim Ross said that it was mutually agreed upon to just let her contract expire in order for her to explore other options. Chat me up. Well, I hate to speak ill of the dead. I'm not, and I won't speak ill of Joni. I love Joni and I thought she was a wonderful, wonderful person as sweet as the day is long. However, um, unfortunately, the story you just told, uh, none of it's true. Uh, she did call Vince. She did have a conversation with Vince. And this was in April 
or May of 2001. She said that they had been seeing each other and Vince said he knew and that he had told her to stop seeing him. And then he said, he goes, you know, Joni, what can I do? Um, if they love each other, they love each other. And I'm, you know, what do you want me to do? I I don't want to get in your involved in your love life. I don't want to get involved in Hunter's love life. I don't want to get involved in Stephanie's love life. Um, and she was upset. She wanted to have a meeting with Vince and so on and so forth. Um, I got a call the night before the meeting from Jim Ross asking me to be at the building early to be a witness for Vince because Jr. wouldn't be there. And I got to the building and Vince said, we'll, we'll do it whenever Joni gets here. Let me know when she gets here and we'll, we'll have the meeting. I said, do I need to know anything? He says, I says, no, let's hear what she's got to say. And, um, we'll, we'll take it from there. So Joni came in, um, to the contrary, I don't remember anybody splitting of the Red Seas. I think kind of to the contrary, there were people that were, you know, hey, Joni. And by this time, people knew there was something going on. And she came in and she was obviously upset, but she was also just pretty much steadfast, too. And I went and grabbed her. I said, hey, um, want to get you together with Vince. And she said, OK, let's go do it. And Vince had two offices. He had his big office and then he had a room off to the side. And we went in the room off to the side and she told him what she wanted. And she asked for, um, almost four times what she was making a million dollars, allegedly more than that. Double that. As a matter of fact, she wanted 2 million bucks overall. Yes. Uh, she wanted, she wanted that guaranteed in a contract and then another deal with Playboy and some other things. But she, she talked about it and Vince said, look, I'm not going to get into the personal stuff. Um, this, this stuff happens, okay? And we're adults. But it, it, the Stephanie stuff, the Stephanie altercation, I know for a fact that didn't happen that day. That for sure as hell didn't happen because Vince had made sure that Stephanie go out and stay in the arena. I don't want you anywhere near here. We come up with a deal. I want to get you guys together and everybody work it out basically and say, agree, we're all going to be adults here. But um, I know it didn't happen that day that we had the meeting. That's for sure. That did not happen. Um, Vince told her he couldn't do what she was asking. He made a very fair offer to her and he offered her a deal more money than she was making, uh, a downside guarantee that was more money than she had made the year before. It was a great deal. I mean, it was, it was above and beyond what had the situation been different that he would have offered. She told him what, you know, what she wanted. And she said, I don't think I can work here under those conditions. He says, that is your choice. And he says, but at the same time, you know, you're under contract and I will pay you all the way through that. But you also have this offer on the table. Now, if you're not willing to take that, I understand that too. That's not going to be an open offer. So think about it. Decide, don't make, I don't want your decision right now. You know, think about it, go home, talk to your agent, your lawyer, uh, whoever it is you need to talk to. 
but I'm not going to let personal feelings and, and all this other crap enter in to business. Uh, things happen. It's life. So we want to do business with you. And, you know, we're showing that we want to do business with you by making you this offer. And she said she didn't know she could work here under these conditions, knowing that the man she loved was there and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, having to work with Stephanie and she said she didn't know she could do it. And he told her that was her decision, but that she was welcome and that we wanted her here and that we could work through this. And she left and she didn't want to perform that night. And she left, she was not fired. She wasn't asked to leave. She asked to leave and Vince said, sure. Take your time and JR will be in touch. And then they decided, okay, you know what? Um, not going to come back, which we'll is let her contract run out and move forward. That that's the truth. That's exactly what happened. So in anything else, it, it just, you know, it just didn't happen. I, you talk about hating to be somewhere, <laughs> That was in Joni and I talked about it years later when she came into TNA about she told me she walked in. She goes, I'll never forget that night. She says, you were in the worst position. And she told me that night, too, before we went in to meet with Vince. She goes, oh, you're the one that has to, to be in there with me. I said, yes. And she said, she goes, I really hated that you had to go through that. It sucked. It was an uncomfortable uh, position to be in. But but that's what took place. You sort of said, Hey, I know that didn't happen then, which left it open ended for did something happen another time where there was a Stephanie, not that China I know of a confrontation. No, not that I know of. I never, I never heard of one, uh, not at an event. I heard later on through the grapevine that she had either called Stephanie or had some kind of altercation with her on the phone at some point, but I never heard of anything in any arena or anything at the workplace ever. Uh, it, nothing I ever heard of. Did you ever have a conversation with triple H about all this? No. You know, I mean, again, it, it is what it is. It's two people. They are working together. They start dating. They, they fall in love. It's, it's not uncommon and especially not uncommon in a place where you're traveling together and, uh, working together and it's, that's your, your only socialization. So, I mean, it's, believe it or not, I mean, it's more natural, more normal than you'd think the, the business isn't normal. So you, you deal within the constrictions that you have in the business. Why do you, you don't have family. You don't have interaction with other people. Why do you think triple H and Stephanie are looked at as like the heels in this situation because of the way this happened when it's happened in countless other wrestling relationships. And people don't really talk about them in the same regard because Stephanie, because of her last name and because she was the boss's daughter and because triple H was a top guy, he was, he was in there pitching ideas and pitching vents long before anything years before anything ever transpired with Stephanie. The only, uh, to me, the only reason is out of jealousy and 
lack of understanding. It's two people that that fell in love, man. So they fell in love. They got married. They live happily ever after. They've got a happy family and, and all that shit. It's, I think people look at it and they don't understand it out of jealousy and they feel that there's all, there's only one ulterior motive. Why, why can't people just be happy? Why can't they just accept that they, they love each other and, and move on? It happens. It's just interesting that people look at China as a very sympathetic character here, but nobody really talks about Mark Merrow that way. I mean, there's dozens of other instances in wrestling, but it's just weird that that's certainly the perception, but you do have to feel, you know, sorry for China because not only does she lose her romantic interest, but she also loses her job. She, but she left her job. I understand. She didn't lose it. She left it. That was a conscious effort on her part. But at the same time though, you, you have to see her position of it being fairly complicated that the person you were with is now dating technically your boss. I mean, that's a challenge. Can we agree on that? Uh, I don't disagree that it's a challenge and not, not at all. So you lose your love life and your job and basically all your friends, because when you're on the road, those are your friends, right? That's your whole life. Um, you ever hear where Linda was on any of this? You know, we've talked a lot about what Stephanie thought and what triple H thought, what China thought, what Vince thought about Linda. I have less than even, I couldn't even guess. Uh, what about Shane? He says one of the boys now dating his sister. I don't think Shane was happy and that's me putting words in Shane's mouth, but I don't, I don't think Shane was happy at all. I think that Shane's very protective of Stephanie, very protective of his mother. And if I were a betting man back then, uh, that Shane wouldn't have been in favor of it. Yeah. But he also isn't one of those guys that's going to go talk about it either. Well, Stephanie did talk about it. She was on Howard Stern in 2002. Uh, she said that she's sure in China's eyes that Stephanie is the bitch in that scenario. And that China feels that, you know, she stole triple H from her. And she says that when the storyline with her and triple H started, she was actually dating someone else. But then she said her boyfriend would tell her that she had the hots for triple H and she didn't even realize it herself. So to use a Vince McMahon phrase, she worked herself into a shoot. Uh, Howard wanted to know if Steph had ever wondered why he was with her. And she said, no. And Robin wanted to know, does it ever occur to you that he wants to run things? And Steph said that would be a great ultimate plan, but if he screws it up, then he's screwed. And that is something that I don't think a lot of people really think about. Like, you know, you sort of insinuated a minute ago that a lot of people are saying, oh, it's because of, you know, who is dad, who her dad is. And there's this ulterior motive, but at the same time, had he got in there and really fucked this up royally, not a lot of options at that point, right? Yeah. That's the reality of it. You screw that one up and, and you're really screwed up if that's your motive. And also at the same time, here's, here's the other, like what? Um, I truly believe that even if he did fuck it up and they broke up that 
Vince would have continued on. I I firmly believe that. Uh, Steph says in this interview with Howard that Triple H was very flirtatious and was dropping hints. And she was wondering to herself, is he hitting on me? But didn't think that could be true. But she said once during a match, when Steph was outside the ring, Triple H is crawling around on the floor and he reaches over and feels her leg. And she, that's what she knew. Okay. He likes me. And of course she knows she's been forbidden from dating or seeing any of the wrestlers. But she also said in this interview with Howard that when the storyline started, Triple H and China weren't even dating. She said they had a house together, but they were trying to get rid of it. And after a while, she didn't believe Triple H and China were split because they were still living together. And that eventually caused Stephanie and Triple H to stop talking for a long time. So maybe there was a little bit of flirtation and budding romance in 99, but then it doesn't really get going until 2000. Uh, Stephanie says when they get back together, Vince gives them the okay. And then he takes it away. So they split up and then get back together a third time. Uh, just as a heads up, uh, this is all from that Howard Stern interview with Stephanie McMahon. Triple H was on that same show in January of Oh two. And this is a year after you knew at the XFL that, uh, this was the situation. Uh, he says that, uh, China was a very good person. He had nothing bad to say about her at all. And that they were together for four years. But he said there was a misconception about how things ended with himself and China. He said that things had gone downhill and there was a period of time where they were separated, but it wasn't a full blown relationship at the time when he started to see Stephanie and he sees things differently. And of course, Howard can't help himself and jokes. Well, if you screw this up, you're out of wrestling and triple H says, well, I hope not. That would suck. Uh, did you have conversations with Vince? I know you said you didn't really talk about this with Stephanie. You didn't really talk about this with, with Hunter. But you're going up and down the roads with Vince. I mean, you guys are traveling companions and around each other in booking meetings. I mean, you're with each other all the time. What sort of comments one way or another were you hearing from Vince about this relationship? Zilch didn't discuss it. It was private. It was personal. And there were some things just didn't touch. And that was one of them. Uh, none of my business. So uh, I wasn't going to ask him anything about it uh, and frankly didn't want to know. Well, if you want to know where you can consolidate some debt and you don't even need a mortgage to do so, you need to hear about our friends over at Lightstream. Uh, if you've got balances on your credit cards and maybe a higher interest rate than what you think you'd like, why not turn those balances into one monthly payment with a lower fixed interest rate and start saving yourself some money. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from just 6.14% APR with auto pay. Get a loan from five to a hundred thousand dollars. And you can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. And because Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And since they're a division of SunTrust bank, one of the nation's largest financial institutions, you have complete peace of mind. I want to remind you here, this is a loan anywhere from five to a hundred thousand dollars. So 5,000 to a hundred thousand dollars as soon as the day you apply. And I actually used Lightstream years ago, Bruce. I think we've talked about this before, but I was shopping for a car, looking for somebody in my family, a ride, found Lightstream, hooked them up, got a great rate, got great terms. They overnighted the check shopping like a cash buyer the next day. Boom. Drafted right out of my account. 
couldn't have been easier. Uh, it was a home run. Well, yeah, and the beautiful thing about it, what I like about it, because you know how I am at Technology Challenge. The website's easy. You can go in, and my daughter did this. She's looking to get a new car, and she was able to put in how much money she wanted, what the interest rate was going to be, and what her payment is. You can do all that free of charge over at uh, Livestream.com, and it's easy. That's what I like about it, easy. Make it happen right now. Go to Livestream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com. Lightstream.com slash wrestle. And our listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of their already low rates. Hook it up right now, man. It's Lightstream.com slash wrestle. Now, of course, it's subject to credit approval, but your rate will include a half a percent auto pay discount. Of course, terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. So hurry right now to lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. You'll be glad you did. These guys are legit. Speaking of legit. Triple H and Stephanie became legit on October 25th, 2003. That's right. Yesterday was their 15 year anniversary and Bruce, you were there. I'm sure there've got to be some fun or interesting stories. One of these stories about a friend of ours has become legendary. I'm sure there's more to it. What do you remember about that special day 15 years ago? It was a special weekend, man. I remember uh, flying up from Houston and they had the reception and, and all of the wedding festivities taking place at this, I like to call it a compound in upstate New York. But it was it was really nice. It was pretty cool. But the entire the entire deal was secure. So it was probably, I don't know, 20, 50 acres, something like that. And when you checked in, when you went through the gates at the very beginning, when you arrived, the guardhouse would check your name off and then they would say, OK, uh, Bruce and Stephanie Pritchard, that's two guests and you got a gold coin. And each person had to have this coin on them at any time and be able to present it to any staff or any security on the premises uh, to prove that they were with the wedding. The only the only people at this entire uh, facility, it was a hotel, uh, had a bar and a restaurant, and then a big like ballroom type thing. And we had the whole had the whole compound. So uh, I sent you pictures of the coins and everything, and I'll put those up on Twitter today so everybody can see them. But it was it was pretty nice little souvenir and everything, and we got in. And every night in the rooms, they would have these beautiful just baskets full of uh, water <laughs> because you're drinking and you needed to hydrate. But cookies and goodies and an itinerary for the day. They had buses, big, huge luxury buses to take everybody from the hotel to the wedding. So uh, the wedding was at this church, um, I think it was in White Plains, Terrytown, something like that. I don't even, I don't know the name of the town because I didn't drive. But we got on the bus and, and it was a... Uh, it was an incredible kind of surreal weekend because everywhere you went, it was all about the nuptials of Stephanie and Paul. 
and it was it was all of our own people, so we could make as much noise and be as raucous as we wanted. The uh, the bar the night before the wedding was a hell of a good time, and it was with John Layfield and Fit Finley, and uh, had us a few adult beverages. But the the wedding was spectacular. I think it was like uh, four hundred thousand dollars worth of roses <laughs> for this event. The, just a, a color I didn't know existed, some kind of fuchsia, pinkish, purplish um, color of rose, man. They were, it was, it, it was unbelievable. It was one of those kind of fairy tale weddings that you only see on TV in the movies. And it was, it was incredible to say the least. Hey, I got an idea. I wrote a song. Dude, dude, dude. Well, the reception was um, a fantasy land, man. It, it was it was this this hall decorated to the nines, and then outside of the hall was a bar, and then another reception area. And there was a lot of alcohol consumed, and Vince was doing shots, Taker was doing shots, and we were all like having a good time. And then out of the blue, um. There reaches a point, Michael Hayes is, is one of those people, and I love Michael Hayes, but Michael can reach a point where he goes over the edge. And Michael reached that point fairly early on at the wedding, and he had gone up and he sang um, Jailhouse Rock. I was corrected at your wedding that it was Jailhouse Rock. I thought it was Johnny B. Bad. It was Jailhouse Rock, damn it. And Michael got up with the live band and he sang jailhouse rock and brought the house down. I mean, everybody's standing, everybody's dancing, go, woo, Michael. Yeah. Fucking a free bird. Just stole the show. He couldn't leave it at that. He had a few more shots and decided, I have a song that I like to, Paul, step, step, Stephanie, I like, oh, ma. Hang on, hang on. I don't need no fucking band. I'm just going to sing it. I, I can pella. Um, uh, and he's trying, I guess he was trying to sing, but he had gone from Michael Hayes and John Paul Shellnut to where you couldn't understand a word he said. So Kurt Angle walks up to him and says, Michael, it's like, okay, time to go now. You did real good on Jailhouse Rock, man, but it's it's time to go. What are you going to do, shooter boy? What are you, you going to take me down? Fuck you, I'm a free bird. Take me down, shooter boy. Uh, I want to sing me a song. And then out of nowhere, Linda McMahon appears and snatches the microphone out from Michael Hayes' hands, kind of like you would do in a promo when you're taking it away from the heel, and said, thank you, Michael, you're done. And then Michael's wife escorted him back to his room. Dope, dope, dope. Uh, I'm sorry, Zivity. I didn't mean to. You know. Brian Gewertz tells a great story about uh, he had a um, he had a date, 
for the wedding. And when they got out of the bus, everybody goes, Woo-hoo, it's Gail Kim because she was, she was Asian. And they all thought just because it was an Asian and it's a woman and she's at Stephanie's wedding, it's gotta be Gail Kim. <laughs> and he was like, what the fuck is wrong with wrestling fans sometimes? But he also being Jewish, it was his first time in a, uh, in a church and the, the little padded gimmick where you kneel and pray. He thought that that was something that you sat on and kind of leaned back on. He didn't know exactly what that was for. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it truly was, but it was, it was a nightmare that just, it, it was, it was crazy. It was debauchery. It was a great time. Um, fun was had by all the only, you know, bad, bad moment, which wasn't a bad moment. It was a great story. It was Michael singing Vince danced, Stephanie danced, Shane danced. It was a dance party, uh, that they had at the wedding. And it was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. Rick Flair was there, Kevin Nash, the whole gang, but it was a good time had by all. Well, Anything else you want to drop on us about Triple H and Stephanie uh, in storyline or real life wedding? I'm sure there's there's tons more meat on the bone for another time when we cover Triple H year by year and their reign of terror. And uh, I'm not looking forward to it, but we're gonna have to do it. Chat me up though. Any any other uh, loose ends you'd like to tie up here today? Yeah, I just think it's a perfect example of life imitating art. And just a fine example of, of the work, you know, the workplace romance and, and how you can be doing something o- over here and it turns into something completely different over there. Uh, shit happens and basically it kind of rewrote history. And now you look at where triple H is and Stephanie and COO of the company. And I've always stood by this. I think that he probably wouldn't be COO now, but, I think that even if Triple H had not married Stephanie, that he would still be high up in the company. He'd probably still be working now, <laughs> frankly. But um, that's what he always wanted to do. So it's just, yeah, life imitating art. Well, who knew? What we've always wanted to do is uh, a bit of a hodgepodge episode. Instead of taking one topic long form for a couple hours like we did today, let's bounce around, let's mix it up. Are there two half shows? We can't get into a full show. Well, you bet your ass there are. We're doing it next week. The hardcore championship and Daniel pewter. Chat me up. What are we going to talk about next week? Bruce? Jesus. I hope it's not as boring as Daniel pewter's career. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Um, no, we're going to talk about the whole legend of, of Daniel pewter. What really happened and what was supposed to happen on that fateful night that pewter got in the ring with Kurt angle. And the whole machinations getting to that very point. Um, absolute craziness in how the hardcore title was never really meant to be. And God damn. Thank God it's not in existence anymore. And the week after that, we got something fun coming your way on November 9th. William Regal, one of the more unsung heroes in wrestling history. Uh, on the 16th, we're bringing you Survivor Series 1998. On Thanksgiving night, which is our new Thanksgiving tradition, this is our second annual Survivor Series watch-along. We're going to get in our Wayback Machine and do 1988. 
the following week on November 30th, we're covering Christian on December 7th. We're going to hit in your house, Degeneration X, which is from 1997. The following week we'll hit rock bottom in your house, 1998. That's on December 14th on the 21st of December. We're going to cover the raw from December 22nd, 1997, where stone cold would stun Santa Claus on the 28th. As we wind down 2018. We're going to cover when mankind won the WWF title and that put a lot of butts in a lot of seats and a lot of people changed the channel. A lot of people would say that was one of the daggers in the heart of WCW. And on January 4th, we're doing something fun. It's a watch along from 1988, a Saturday night's main event with Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. And don't forget, we've got lots of extra bonus content coming your way. And Bruce, you and I are going to throw up a couple of bonus episodes right here at the beginning of next week on Patreon. Tell everybody what you've been doing on Patreon lately at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Well, I'd love to get on there and do the live Q and A's and just kind of let everybody pick my brain in the moment. I did one just the other night at the spur of the moment. I said, Hey, I'm here. Let's see what's going on in the Patreon world. And we gave them like 15 minutes notice. And then I was on for the next hour and a half, but a lot of behind the scenes stuff. We got Kamala's casket on there and the preparing for the shows in Boston. A lot of stuff here around the house, just when I'm thinking about things. And I think I'm going to start my uh, kind of Bruce's bitches or is Dave Silva says he wants to do save with Bruce. So I can save our Patreon followers a lot of aggravation by just some of the wisdom of my 55 years on this earth. Uh, I really am not looking forward to that, but you'll like yes, the wrestling content. Go hook it up right now. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Be sure to give us a follow. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at Pritchard show. We're also on Instagram at Pritchard show. And of course on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. And in the coming weeks, we've got some new fun stuff coming your way. Don't forget to uh, give us a follow on those social media channels. And don't forget to check out brucepritchard.com. We've got a ton of shows coming up here, including some across the pond. But first, we want to see you in Los Angeles. We want to see you in Winston-Salem. I can't tell you how fun this show at WrestleCade is going to be. Pick up your tickets right now at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget to go see Bruce this weekend with Brett the Hitman Hart at, what's it called? Frightmare in the Falls in Niagara Falls? That's it, exactly. Canadian side, man. Don't miss it. It's the Scotiabank Convention Center. And if you're in South Florida, come see the Hulkster brother. The NWO reunion with 83 weeks, myself and Eric Bischoff. It's going down this weekend in Orlando. Check out HulkHogan.com for more details. And we'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.